Wanted, an innovative leader who will challenge the way things are. We've all read job postings like that. Maybe we've even written some. But as a C-suite leader, how do you build an innovative culture really? Longtime J&J executive Calvin Schmidt says it doesn't hurt to look for someone who has screwed up once or twice. Don't get, don't get wooed uh, by resume and by a good talk. Experience does matter. So to the extent um, you can hire people with some experience, especially failures, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that is super valuable. Hi, I'm Irene Silver. Calvin Schmidt was one of the session leaders at a Vanguard Forum for Life Sciences and Healthcare Leaders. He and the Vanguard Network's Ken Banta led a session on how to foster innovation. Here are some of the highlights. Let me give you 30 seconds on me. Um, for the last 30 years, I think I've done uh, 10 different types of jobs, um, from running HR to for about 60% of Johnson & Johnson. I speak Thai. The only thing that is good for is in Thai restaurants. It's, I'm pretty cool in the United States. <laughs> but I lived in Asia for, for seven years. I'm an engineer by training. I ran Janssen Pharmaceuticals in the United States. Uh, most recently, um, our, our uh, commercial strategy and R&D development. And what the one common thread is, and I've made lots of failures. I mean, oh my gosh, I have so many mistakes that I could point to. And by the way, the best form of innovation is making mistakes, as many of us know, when you revector your thinking. So um, I guess my shtick in this area is give me a Snickers bar and a backpack, put me behind enemy lines, no map, no GPS, and you got like 90 days to figure it out. And you got to navigate, limited visibility, you know, what's your trajectory and how you do that. And so I think from an innovation perspective, it's all over the place, as we all know. And so I think this discussion, hopefully your takeaway in the next 30 minutes, will give you some insights and some key takeaways that maybe you haven't gotten in a lot of different forums, because um, all of us are hungry for it. So that establishes a, maybe somewhat a little <laughs> credibility, Ken. So go ahead. Gosh, well, it uh, scares me a little bit. Uh, my credibility rests on some pretty thin, uh, pretty thin hairs. Uh, one of them would be, uh, though, that I've, I've been involved in uh, three, uh, helped to drive three global company transformations of uh, really train wreck companies into success stories. And most of my work was in the uh, way of working and the leadership side of those things. And so a lot of uh, innovation, actually, in terms of how we would do that, we really didn't know how to get from here to there, but we kind of did the Snickers and backpack approach to transformation, and, and we succeeded. And then um, more recently, I've been working uh, with a lot of leaders uh, on how they want to innovate in their own leadership and how to get innovation to happen in their companies. However we define innovation along the lines of all of these really cool definitions. So I wouldn't say that I've got a credential as being a great innovator, but I think I, I, I know innovation when I see it. How's that? And uh, on that note, um, maybe we could shift to the challenges uh, that organizations face, especially big ones, um, in how to uh, get teams to do whatever we are talking about here. A lot of the discussions about culture and purpose and the complexities of convening ideas. And I'll tell you a quick, a quick story of, um, of a great leader who, um, by, the, by the scorecard of society, was very successful. Um, made about a billion dollars as a hedge fund manager, but was the most miserable person you've ever met. Overweight, unhealthy, and had two beautiful children one wife, and was like clockwork, clockwork 
home on time at dinner, and at dinner, read the paper, was on his iPhone all the time, doing emails, but he was there and present. And you know, one of the, and he was the leader of his organization. And uh, boy, they made a billion bucks, but the, the future signals of this company were not gonna be positive, they were not positive. And this guy, as someone said, the tone at the top, he set the standard for the culture. Uh, one day uh, he came home and he, he was on his way home. He was going to be late. He called his wife and he said, honey, I'm not going to get home until 9 o'clock. Keep the kids up. Keep the kids up. And uh, he's there all the time. Never talks to him. You know, kind of yells at him, grunts a little bit, but he's there. He gets home at 9 o'clock, wrestles and plays with the kids for five minutes. And right as he's putting his two, and they're twin boys, two twin boys to bed, guess what those twin boys said to him? Any guess? Daddy, come home at 9 o'clock every night. <laughs> and here's the moral of the story. So in culture and in organizations, how you manage your personal energy reflects how your organization is going to respond. And that personal energy reflects the culture. And if the culture is purpose-driven and you're honest with who you are, not what your brand image you want it to be, but who you are as a culture, that will drive and give permission to make mistakes, give permission to be your authentic self. And by the way, we're all in healthcare for one reason, I would bet you, or originally we were, because it's personal, and you want to make an impact. And so one barrier to being innovative is culture and not being afraid to be who you are and manage your energy intrinsically. You know, your spiritualness, your mentalness, what you put in your body, and your cardiovascular system, your chassis. So, yeah, oh, that's a great example. And it's amazing the, uh, the cue that people take from their leaders. And I think often leaders uh, aren't always aware of how much that is so. And so, uh, one great example to my mind uh, is um, the uh, example that some of us know from uh, working at. Uh, at uh, sharing plow uh, together. And uh, that company was plagued by so many problems, you'd probably need another seminar to discuss them all. But um, among them were uh, a complete failure of morale and a sense of, I'd say, uh, uh, kind of uh, integrity in the, in the front lines. They were being asked to go and uh, say things to doctors that they probably didn't believe in. And uh, that was leading to lawsuits, to uh, the, the company was in, in practically in jail in uh, a number of states in the country, a uh, whole slew of other issues. Anyway, new CEO comes in, and uh, one of the first things he does is go to a uh, conference in the sales force, and he said, uh, going forward from now on, I don't expect any of you to go in and try and make a sale that you don't believe in, but I do expect you to go in there and create the right kind of sale with the customer. And this uh, crowd of, uh, of uh, executives of, of uh, frontline salespeople stood up and cheered and applauded him. Uh, and he was really saying two things. One was, uh, first of all, listen to your like, moral compass, and it's OK to do that, to, the, to that point of be yourself in the right way. But the other thing he was saying was, it's not, that's not an excuse for not making the sale. You have every, uh, you have, you're obligated to be innovative, basically, in how you go about getting the right sales, but do it in an ethical way. And sure enough, there are all kinds of innovations that came out of that 
discussion in the sales force about how to go to the customer in a better, more creative, and effective way. So I think that's a good example, and that's also innovation. Again, you know, it hardly needs saying. Innovation outside of the lab, outside of uh, R&D, that was innovation at the front lines uh, is what was being. He was giving permission for innovation at the front lines, and people took him up on it. And it, uh, the company turned around, uh, became one of the leaders in the country in terms of uh, sales, per, sales rep, et cetera, et cetera. So you know what? We're running out of time. Um, no worries. Here's, um, I was thinking maybe we could skip to our, our last uh, topic, which is uh, really, I think, awfully important, which is uh, if all of this stuff is important, uh, how do you hire for the right people to deliver this stuff? Uh, let's assume that you yourself are inclined to be fostering of newness of innovation, as we call it. But how do you bring the right people into the mix to deliver it in both a large organization like yours and you know a small one like uh, like uh, Stevens. I mean, you all have that same challenge. What what? Come, maybe you could start. What yep. do you think? You know, um, I will tell you in my in my HR days, I have a lot of experience to draw on here. And don't get don't get wooed uh, by resume and by a good talk. Experience does matter. So to the extent um, you can hire people with some experience, especially failures. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that is super valuable. You know, it's really around this idea of um, curiosity that Ken is talking about. So curiosity, and I will tell you, the number one thing in my book, is, it's really a combination of people that aren't afraid. I'm not afraid to lose my job. I'm talking about to do the right thing. I'm not for the wrong reason. I'm not afraid to lose my job. And the reason I'm not afraid to lose my job is because I'm grounded and I'm clear on my purpose. And then if I can orient that towards the mission or the company purpose or what I'm doing, typically those people can be better innovators because you get that differential hit on where they're going to drive. And when we kind of trace at J&J &J in particular, or from my experience, where innovation has been successful, you tie it generally to a person that sparks that ecosystem, that idea, that small one, or the big one. And so it typically is tied to someone that's not afraid. Um, and as a leader, if you can create space for rewarding people that are bold like that, man, it creates, it creates music. Calvin, do you have a few thoughts that we can conclude on? Number one, uh, do you have a purpose or an innovation purpose or some sort of call to action in your business, in your department, in your culture, in your organization? Number two. Start developing a culture or mindset to achieve it. And you know, are you, to your point, uh, you know, what are you doing for all levels of the organization? And then number three, evolve your priority business metrics to actually make it important, right? How you should do those things, that's what you can do. How you can do those things, three things. Don't be afraid to fail. You got to create the space for that. You got to allow for that. And you got to reward for that. Diversity, we didn't spend any time on it other than I will tell you, diversity of thought, diversity of culture, diversity of religion, diversity of people, diversity of experience. I can't overemphasize how intrinsically, if you can make that happen, you're going to get better outcomes at all levels. That's super important on how uh, you think and what those type of people. So if you hire people like yourself, you're making a mistake. You want to hire people different. Number three, uh, it's Nick's point. Don't just go for moonshots go for small, innovative things and celebrate those things. So those would be my takeaways on the what and the how. Great. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Calvin. That was great. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Calvin Schmidt, a senior vice president at Johnson & Johnson 
and the Vanguard Network's Ken Banta at a forum for life sciences and healthcare leaders. The Vanguard Forum is just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber. Thanks for listening.